Thompson. Welcome to Property Matters, proudly brought to you by Barford and Thompson. Well, as we approach the Christmas and January holiday season, we thought we'd create this episode of the best bits from season three of Property Matters. So we've taken clips from our interviews with the wonderful Nicole Lewis, author of Property Quadrants, Tapari Hewitt, mortgage and financial advisor, Joe Ray from the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand, Serena Gibbon, General Manager of the Auckland Property Investors Association, David Faulkner, Manager of Property Management for Property Brokers, and Brandon Van Blurk, who is the CEO of Tether. So here is some best bits from their interviews this year. Mm. For for young investors yes. these days, you know they always it's hard to get it get started. Yes. Um, and you know, especially if you're living here in, in Auckland, there's no point denying it. It's the house prices have been huge. What okay. advice do you have for someone young that's got the passion to go down this path? Well, interestingly enough, I've just taken on another client who's only in his early twenties. Um, and normally I and he's he's based in Auckland. Um, and normally I was sort of not a hundred percent sure about someone so young, but oh my gosh, he is so passionate. He is so determined and he is so willing to learn. And we're starting off by doing no money deals. So basically contemporaneous settlements. I know some of your listeners won't understand that, but I you know, don't want to go too much into teaching that. And that's all about active income so that he can actually build up his money in the bank. So that he can go and buy an investment property, likely outside Auckland, that will make him passive income from day one. So, you know, it's so doable for young people. I started again with nothing after the global financial crisis. I even had bad credit. Um, So, you know, the bank was like, go away. Didn't have any option. And it is so doable, but you've just, it's not easy you've got to actually put time into it. And a lot of people give up after their first deal or their second. Uh, and it's like, just keep going because you will definitely get there. And the success is always just around the corner. Uh, and, you know, like, and teach yourself, always be learning, go and talk to people in property. They're a brilliant group of people, these investors associations and that they're always willing to help and you'll get there. But don't listen to the people at work who moan and whinge about the water cooler who haven't got any idea about property but are far too willing to tell you all the pitfalls. Don't listen to those guys. Only the ones that are successful. Talk to the experts. Exactly. But I want to chat now about some of the roadblocks that we might have, whether they're real ones or mental ones, I guess. And you mentioned at the start the importance of eliminating risk. Yes. Can you unpack that a little bit for me? Certainly can. So most people think that property is a very risky and that they they work really hard and they manage to get their family home. And as I've said before, that's a quadrant one property, which costs you money every every week. So you can sometimes have a little bit of financial struggle in there. And so when they get involved in property, they're like, oh my goodness, I don't want to lose the family home. What if we lose everything? Or I don't want to jeopardize that. Or we can barely afford to pay the mortgage. How can I possibly afford to do something else 
Now, I love that mindset because as I've said before, I'm a conservative investor because of the fact I've learned the tough lessons with having lost everything. And really, the reason I lost things was lack of knowledge. I didn't really know what I was doing. So once you know what you're doing and you've got the knowledge, there is no risk because you are basically looking at your worst case scenario before you purchase something and putting all the strategies in place to avoid that ever happening. And that's why I go for positive passive income because cash flow is key. If you've got the money coming in from your rental properties and you've got multiple income streams instead of just one, you're actually stopping the risk from getting to the point where it's going to put you in any sort of financial trouble. Any advice or tips for someone who's feeling a little time poor but really wants to start this journey? Oh, absolutely. I mean, look, in my book, I actually talk about time quite a lot because there's two sides to that. And, and my husband has been in the corporate world for many, many years. And he's gone through those phases where he worked, I don't know how many hours a week, probably 50, 60 hours a week, busy in the weekends. We'd book a, a holiday only for the company to change their targets. And he's like, I can't go away. I'm, I'm too busy. <laughs> and so you look at it and you think, you know, you, you put 20, 30, 40 years into, into the corporate world. You work 40, 50, 60 hours a week. And at any point, they go, the new boss starts and they go, see you later. No, we don't like you. We're downsizing. We're cutting your wages. We're doubling your targets. Uh, thank you very much for meeting your target last month, but that was yesterday. Now, let's concentrate on doing it all over again. And we're all too willing to put that sort of time in, but it actually eats away at our life. But really, when it comes to doing property, if you do some property trading in quadrant three and make active income, I outsource all of that. And I might put in five hours a week myself. So my hourly return once I've sold it ends up something like $1,500, $1,600 an hour, which is exceedingly good going. But in the corporate mindset, we don't think about that. So if you get to the point where you've set up a good team, you can have all of that stuff being done for you while you concentrate on your corporate job and you just make that sort of money on the side. But what it does is it then gives you the option one, two or five years down the track to say, actually, I don't want my corporate job anymore. I think I'll, I think I'll give up and I'll go and do property and I'll spend more time with the family, you know, or the opposite. You might, my husband stayed in his job for years because he wanted to. Mm. There's a big, big difference between mm. I'm staying in my job because I want to and I love it. And when that new boss starts or they restructure and it gets too hard and there's too much stress, I'll just leave versus I'm forced to stay there to put bread on the table. Uh, and that's what property does. Now, while you're doing the two, you probably would need to put about maybe four or five hours a week into property. And when you think about that, we all have that. You know, yeah. we spend it on Netflix or we yeah. spend it on Facebook or, you know, we spend it on whatever. So it's just a case of, I suppose, thinking about it differently. You know, you're willing to put the 40 or 50 hours into corporate to not really get anywhere after 30 years. Are we willing to put the five hours into property to create your own financial future in five to 10 years? What do you think is one of the biggest challenges facing property investors these days? Yeah, so one of the biggest challenges is the uh, the deposit that's required. So if you're buying, if you're wanting to purchase an existing property, one that's already built, it's not a new build, 
um, you know, you have to have a 40% deposit. Uh, that is a huge barrier for people wanting to get um, onto the property, um, onto the investment property ladder. Um, and also your ability to meet the bank affordability for lending criteria. With the interest rates being significantly high, people are struggling to, to meet the bank servicing uh, criteria. So yeah, that, those are some of the struggles. Yeah. And after a booming 2020 and 2021, despite a pandemic, who would have thought? Um, but how have your clients fared in the tougher light of 2022? Yeah, look, it, it has been tough. The, the property market in general has been tough for 2022 and for our clients. So we had a lot of our clients, um, you know, lock in at quite low interest rates in 2020. Uh, and some have just come off their, their fixed rates. Uh, and now are having to, you know, lock in at double the rates, even triple in some cases. Uh, and yeah, it is very expensive. That means the repayments that, you know, have doubled and they've had to re sort of review their, their budgets and, and make sure that they can afford their, uh, their loan repayments. Mm. Mm. So it's been tough. It has. If we switch now to sort of first home buyers, what advice would you give someone thinking about buying their first property to live in themselves? The advice I would give someone purchasing their first property is, first of all, engage an amazing mortgage broker <laughs> like myself. And start the conversation <laughs> early. Yeah. Absolutely. Start the conversation early. There's so many first home buyers that hold back because they think properties are out of reach. But if they engage the right person early on, even if they're not ready, uh, can put them on the, you know, on the right path. Set a plan. I mean, I've been working with some clients for well over a year and all of a sudden they've bought. Um, and that's because we've put them on a plan. They've checked in from time to time and and when the right time hits, then I guide them through the whole property buying process and the finances. Uh, so another piece of advice I would give first home buyers, just make sure you reduce that consumer debt. That mm. That is a huge barrier to getting lending or meeting the bank's requirements. So you've got to make sure that, you know, it's as clean as possible, but of course, engage somebody first. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned earlier with investors needing a 40% deposit. Is it the same for a first-home buyer if they're going to live at it themselves? No. So if it's a first-home buyer, um, and depending on your circumstances, so it's anywhere from 5% to 20% deposit. So when I talk about 5%, there are um, obviously certain criteria you have to meet. But with 5%, it's definitely it's called like a first-home loan. Various banks offer these types of um, products. But it is very strict lending criteria. So really, you have the deposit. You've got to demonstrate that you have saved at least the five percent, and that's through KiwiSaver, also um, you know your first home grants and all of that sort of uh, thing counts towards the deposit. Once you've got your five percent, if you meet the uh, the criteria in terms of if you're a single buyer and you earn no more than ninety five thousand, uh, and if you are joint, it's max. 150,000, then, you know, by all means, you should be engaging um, ourselves to, to talk about how we can get you on the property ladder for sure. That's cool. Now, if you're an investor who perhaps already has their first property or two and are looking to get more, how do your team help achieve that? Yeah, for sure. Well, lucky for them, I'm already an experienced property investor and I'm still active in the market. So I, you know, I, I live and breathe this stuff. So when they come to your mortgages, I pretty much assess their financial situation, just like anything, really understanding what their goals and objectives are. 
Um, is retirement important to them? Is, you know, how many houses will they need to create that passive income that they will be satisfied uh, with? So it's really understanding on a case-by-case -case basis what everyone's, you know, wants or needs are, um, and then we go from there. So it's a full assessment of somebody's financial situation, um, their goals and objectives, and we absolutely put a plan together and help them achieve those goals. Brilliant. And once you've got your property, how often should we be looking at refinancing? What's the goal to check in to yeah. make sure we still have the best deal? Absolutely. I, I still think that, you know, an annual review is really, really important. You know, see if it's fit to purpose. Uh, for example, we've got interest rates that are significantly high and they are continuing to increase. If clients are coming off in the next year, they're probably going to want to review and see whether uh, whether they should be thinking about breaking that particular interest rate and maybe locking in longer term. Maybe, you know, every situation is different. Mm. Um, and that's why we say at Hewitt Mortgages to ensure that you're, you know, you're having your annual review. Um, if you're not sure, reach out to us and we can absolutely help you and review your mortgage for you. Brilliant. So what do you think are, are some of the biggest challenges faced today for our landlords? Look, I think without a doubt, all the changes to legislation and compliance. And, you know, we're not just dealing with the Residential Tenancies Act. We're dealing with the Privacy Act, the Home Improvement Act, Healthy Home Standards. And I think, you know, even those who work in our profession day in and day out, can find it really difficult to interpret some of the changes, um, different dates triggering different mm, roles. Mm. And, um, you know, I really believe this has increased the day-to-day -day workload for property managers. So we seem to be seeing uh, a bit of a trend with officers trying different types of management teams and in some cases using virtual assistants just to help with the repetitive tasks. But look, keeping on top of those changes is massive. Yeah, absolutely. Is, is that the key, you know, to overcoming the challenges is, is having the professionals sort of take care of that space? I think it is. And I think in New Zealand, we're a little bit behind other countries. For example, mm. in Australia, you know, over 80% of their investment properties are managed by professional property managers. We're in New Zealand and we're sitting at about 40%. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think if you're trying to manage your property privately and you're not keeping across it, it's really challenging and it is easy to make a mistake. Why do you think regulation is so important for both landlords and tenants? I think uh, renters deserve to be treated well, regardless of whether they have a private landlord or a professional property manager. But I also think the owners of the property need transparency with their property managers and deserve a certain standard. Um, look, anyone can start up a property management company without having any experience or meeting minimum education standards. I think the other thing is property managers receive millions of dollars of clients' money, rent and bond, and at the moment, there's no formal requirement for that to be reviewed or audited or to be held in a separate account. And I look, I know that the majority of companies um, don't operate like that, but there are some that, um, you know, unfortunately there is the risk of fraudulent activity. So we support a licensing system where members of the public can see who's registered. Um, but as I said, in saying this, many of the property managers we work with at the Real Estate Institute voluntarily upskill their education. They run audit to trust accounts and they carry business insurance. They do a great job. And it's just unfortunate that, as I said, their reputations can be da damaged by others who operate below the line. 
Interesting you mentioned about private landlords not being sort of part of this regulation process. It'll be interesting to see if it does all come in with the tenants sort of speak with their own voice a little bit by choosing ones that are managed by a, a licensed property manager rather than a private landlord to have that protection themselves. Now look, over the last year or two, the word regulation has come in and out of the spotlight. What's your organization's thoughts on this journey? I think first and foremost, regulation has to be meaningful and effective. Okay, so all for well-designed, well-implemented regulation that is about taking everybody in the rental sector forward. Um, we are, however, I think we are, however, reluctant to support poor quality regulation when the net effect is to simply increase costs with no meaningful trade-offs for landlords and or tenants. I think that's just a waste of public spending. Mm, fair enough. Um, what have you noticed as some of the biggest changes in the landlord space over the last few years? Um, what I've noticed the biggest change is also what invigorates me the most is the new wave of investors coming into the space. I think I think it's inevitable that investors, as they get younger, they have a more modern sensibility to investing, property ownership, what the the sort of how you would inter interact with your tenant, what that relationship means. More and more people are becoming receptive to the idea that renting is not a zero-sum game, um, that there is there are win-win solutions out there if landlords and tenants care to sort of think outside of the box. Um, no disrespect to to sort of the the older generation of investors, but I think as we as we sort of reorientate our understanding around um, you know, community and, and different different classes of people interacting with each other. Um, you know, definitely the the new the new wave of investors coming in, I feel like they they just have a, a keener understanding of you know how how to progress forward with their tenants. What advice would you give a private landlord who's nervous to make the shift to a property manager or a property management company? They're sitting on that fence of wanting to look after the yeah. property on their own. Um, what advice would you give them in making that call? I think that's a very good question. And, and sometimes we don't get that message across well enough to, to landlords. And, and we have to understand as well as that, you know, as an industry, we're not going to grab every single landlord. You will get some landlords who will want to do it themselves. And that's fine so long as, as they're playing by the same rules. Is the yeah. property management company to play to? Beyond the fence, what I would suggest to, to you is ask yourself, uh, what is your time worth an hour? I mean, and, 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 and sometimes I think landlords will think, well, how hard can it be? And, and things break at all different times of day. So you need to ensure that you know, you've got somebody who's got your back and also somebody who's giving you absolute up-to-date you know, advice as to what's happening. Quite often that we will see some landlords who do it themselves, the way that will market rent because they're just not abreast of everything and they're not abreast of all the legal changes. I mean, I think it, what came across at a conference in Wellington, I think Jen Bird, the real estate, the CEO of the Real Estate Institute, said this, is that there's been, well, I think, 27 changes in legislation over the last three years. Now, it's hard enough for us yeah, uh, in the industry to keep abreast of all these changes. So, for somebody who's got a day job 
and trying to look after a rental property, it's not impossible. Um, so ask yourself what your time is worth. Uh, it, it's, you know, we can calculate approximately how long it takes per annum to manage a property, how many hours you put into it. You've got to ensure that you, you're doing your inspections as well, stated in your insurance requirements. You're documenting those inspections. You're making sure that you're protecting tenants' privacy and their data, but also making sure that you've got sufficient record keeping to make sure that you comply with the Residential Tenancies Act. So, I mean, look, very few people know um, property management and, and being a landlord as well as myself in the country. That's not blowing my own trumpet there. That it's bad. And I use a property manager. I would dream of doing it myself because it's just, you know, it, and it, it get, keeps the emotion out of it as well. So that's another reason to use a property manager. How are you using technology to support your busy property managers in new ways than ever before? Yeah, well, I mean, it's first of all, before we get into that space, the first thing that we can't lose sight of, it's very much it's a people business. Yeah. Artificial intelligence is not going to be able to resolve disputes between neighbours or you know, overgrown trees or whatever it may be. And this is where having a property manager who's um, impartial but has the people skills. You know, it, it's, it's one of those great industries which in many ways is recession-proof regardless of what's happening in the economy. But you need to have good tech to make sure that your property managers are being fully utilised and being very, very productive. One of the, um, we had a speaker over in, from Australia who demonstrated what they were doing in Brisbane and, and some of the technology that they were using um, was, was really, really, you know, insightful. However, we've got some fantastic prop tech companies here is what they're called. Uh, we use companies such as Tappy. Now, Tappy is a maintenance software um, program, which gives tenants the ability to lodge maintenance very easy. So your property will have a QR code sticker on it. They're able to report the maintenance 24-7, but what's so unique about Tappy is that it has artificial intelligence that can help identify what the issue is and then also give estimates on what the pricing will be. So it gives landlords the ability to make sure that, right, this is how much it's going to cost. And it's also, it stays the more data it collects, the more accurate it can, information it can give it on pricing. Mm. Another one that we've worked with and, and we've been testing is uh, Velocity Global. Some people may have heard of Velocity. It's a valuation, online valuation company. Now, what they're able to do is, is, is collect data from um, software providers such as Palace um, who collect sufficient amounts of, of rent so they, they get an accurate assessment of what rents are in New Zealand. So we're able to use this to be able to go to landlords when we're discussing about uh, rent reviews. It's giving accurate data. It's able to say what the building is, the materials it's using and give you an accurate assessment of, of, of what the rent is. So it's not just an individual saying, well, I think the rent should go up by this amount. We've got actual data, real-time data that you can forward to a landlord. And the landlord is then in a better position to say, oh, right, I'm $50 below market rent, or right. oh, my property is where it should be. So benefits along that are, are, are wide and ranging. Um, so there's lots of great software out there. And I think we're going to see more and more one of the things that I think we're going to see more and more of is, is measurements of performance of buildings in terms of uh, carbon footprint. I actually think healthy homes is, is just the start of it. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think that in, in time we will see 
things such as rent and like a rental warrant of fitness in Europe and UK, they have what's called energy performance certification. So is the environment, whether you're climate skeptic or you believe it or not, it's this government and the opposition government party, as well as committed to New Zealand being carbon net carbon zero by 2050. And I think our rental stock in New Zealand has got a long way to go mm. uh, to ensure that we're, we're more environmentally friendly. So we're, we certainly believe we're going to see more software and more legislation around the performance of buildings in New Zealand. Um, so talk us more about Tether now. And, you know, you talked about the fact that it's it's measuring some important sort of impacts on our world. Um, talk me through a little bit about that, because looking at uh, your site and things, there's quite a bit that it does. Yeah, well, look, the, the premise is that buildings are like people in, in that they're all unique and they're all complex and there's no one size fits answer for all of them, right? So if you want to you want to lose weight or you've got an exercise thing that you want to do, you know, you will have a specific routine that's that's certified to your body or that's specific to your body um, and what you need. And in order to understand that, you need to understand who you are, who your body is. And it's the same thing with prop with property or with buildings. And this is what Tether tries to do is we try to understand the building that we're measuring so that we can assign the right solutions to fix the problem, right? There's only certain things that a building is meant to do other than being aesthetically pleasing and giving you a return on investment, hopefully. You know, you want it to keep, you want it to make it safe and and warm and dry and healthy and uh, efficient, so it doesn't cost you too much money. It wants to be a nice place to live, and these are all indoor environmental quality and efficiency metrics that are that are measured, right? So the amount of power that you use is associated to cost. Amount of water and gas that you use is associated to cost, but also efficiency and impact on the planet. If you care about that, your indoor environmental quality is directly associated to health and comfortability that sort of thing um and these things naturally happen without you doing anything a bit like living without looking after yourself without going to the gym or, or looking at your diet so you can either choose to to look at your health and fitness and look after your body or not it doesn't matter you'll still live the same thing with the building you can either choose to just let it operate without any understanding of what's going on and it will still probably be there um or you can have some insight into it and really improve how it how it functions so tether's premise is about using hardware and software to give your building personality as it were to create this digital identity around your building and then with sensors do the monitoring so you know like your fitbit will monitor your steps or you know you'll use an app to track your calories we have technology that'll look at the indoor environmental quality it look at thermal comfort levels so how comfortable are you in there it look at if there's mold going to grow or if there's uh, you know an issue with condensation within the building it'll look at ventilation rates so this is a big thing that's happened post covid especially in schools and offices where um, because covid and other airborne virus trans uh, transmitted diseases are transmitted through the air ventilation has become a hot topic of discussion especially within building science um, and ventilation rates need to go up because we need to reduce the amount of airborne transmission airborne viral transmission so our system monitors for that using carbon dioxide as a proxy for ventilation so we like the we like the fitbit for your building think about mm. it like that way right you know sort of the, the the monitoring system that can give you insights into how your building functions and then also provide you with the benchmarks you need to do impact assessments on whatever you plan to change. So if you're going to spend 
$5,000 on a heat pump or insulation, surely you want to know what benefit that's done because yeah. you're doing it for a reason, right? I mean, there's obviously the legislation and we can talk about some of the stuff Ted has done to support healthy homes and other things if you're interested, but but there's the legislative part of it, but then there's also you having to spend money to upgrade and maintain and ensure that these buildings are, are efficient, warm, dry, and healthy, but how often do you actually measure whether what you're doing has the impact that you think it's it's doing i would say hardly ever i mean mm. you know it's, it's sort of our that's what our customers come to us for is they they're spending thousands of dollars in maintenance they don't know where this money's going or whether the impact it's actually having the impact that it's needed which is you know better environments for their customers or better environments for their children or better environments for their staff members um and and we provide them with with data basically unequivocal data and evidence on on building performance and that brings us to the end of the episode and the end of season three of property matters thank you to all our guests who took part this year now we'll be back in february next year with our live shows on planet fm and you'll always be able to listen to our episodes on spotify or on most podcast sites including iHeartRadio. Now, if you've got something to share with the investment landscape, email us at propertymatters at barfoot.co.nz and we'll get in touch regarding our 2023 shows. Thanks to Barfoot and Thompson for their sponsorship of the show and to Matt, Lydia and Adam for their help behind the scenes. Have a fantastic holiday season and we look forward to chatting with you again soon. Take care.